Let's do this. We're going to be in the Word together in Matthew chapter 22. Um, It is Communion Sunday. We're going to break bread together and share the family meal together that Christ is the host of. So we have a decidedly shorter section of the, the Bible that we'll look at today, Matthew 22. If you need a Bible, didn't bring one, uh, left it at the house, just put your hand up, don't be shy, uh, and guys will bring Bibles from the back to you. Those of you that have your Bibles, again, Matthew chapter 22, that's the only place we'll mark for today. Let's pray, let's pray. Lord, uh, we just come again this morning, hopefully uh, having met with you since last Sunday. But here we are today. Lord, you've got our attention. You've got our bodily presence. Hopefully you have our presence of mind here this morning. Uh, Lord, focus it all on you. Just grab our attention, Lord. Help us to be caught up in the beauty of your holiness. And Father, as we face the difficulties of the times we live in, the difficulties of, of living in this world, on this planet, I pray that, Lord, you would um, just enable us to, to see things through your eyes, Lord, to, to not uh, take the easy way, but the righteous way, the holy way, Lord, the way uh, and to do what is right in every situation, Lord, to the best of our knowledge and ability. And Lord, we pray for the teachers, many of whom are wrestling with discouragement, frustration, maybe disappointment, maybe fear of the unknown. And Lord, we thank you that, uh, that you are sovereign over all. You are sovereign over our Fluvanna County. Whether or not uh, people choose to acknowledge that, it is true. Lord, you are sovereign over the school, the school system and every teacher's life. Lord, I pray that you would raise up those Christian teachers to be encouragers. I pray that you would give them hope. And Lord, keep them from complaining and, and, and being disgruntled and, and gossip, Lord. I pray that, that they would be like lights, shining. And Father, I pray that in the school system you would raise up uh, teachers, administrators, that truly, truly, and deeply care for the children, for the young men, young women, Lord, in the schools. And I pray that every person that is working in conjunction with the schools would live to serve uh, you, Lord. Not just living for the salary or the paycheck, but ultimately working heartily as unto the Lord. Lord, we pray that a solution would be made known and and that, um, that it would be an opportunity for, for many to come to know you somehow through all of this, Lord. We lift up our service to you, the truth you want to teach us today. I pray that our hearts would be open for it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I'm going to start off with a couple of questions this morning. You have your place marked in Matthew and you may not understand why I'm asking these questions. They're kind of fun questions, but I'll explain the, the relevance to our study after, we ask a few, after I ask a few of them. Uh, number one, if you were a superhero, what special power would you want? Interesting question. 
Jacob and I used to have that conversation when he was younger. What would the special power be that you would want if you could be a superhero? You know, super strength or x-ray vision or super fast or whatever it was. You can picture yourself in the Incredibles, you know. If you had to travel 100 years into the past or future, which would you choose? Hmm, good question. If you would rather, if you, if you had an opportunity, would you rather have four arms or four legs? Or four eyes? Here's one, here's one. Which island would you rather be stranded on? The island from Lost or Gilligan's Island? Good question. If two identical twin brothers married two identical twin sisters, would their kids be identical? Hmm. Good question. Uh, what do these questions have in common? Uh, one more I'll add. Actually, some people have asked this question. Can God make a rock so big he can't move it himself? Why am I sharing these questions? These are called hypothetical questions. A hypothetical, have you heard that term before? Somebody go like this if you heard the term. A hypothetical question, the root word is hypothesis. It's a, a, an idea that you're testing. It's not proven, but it's something you're testing. So a hypothetical question is a question you ask yourself in your mind, imagining what the consequences would be if that question were true or if that statement were true. So hypothetical questions often start with, what if? I mean, if that idea is true, what next? Some people call uh, another word for a, a hypothetical question a thought experiment. A thought experiment. It's for the purpose of thinking through an idea in terms of its consequences. So, you know, what would be the consequences if I had only 30 days to live, which is many churches are doing this series, you know, if you had 30 days to live. And that's a hypothetical situation uh, for most people, not for everybody. But for most of us, it's a hypothetical question. Uh, and you start to think through, what would that mean? So why do I start with hypothetical questions? Well, because we're in Matthew 22, and this is what the Pharisees are doing with Jesus. They're asking him a hypothetical question. And the thing about hypothetical questions is you may or may not ever be able to determine the answer. Again, it's, it's, a t it's something you're thinking through in your mind. The situation may not ever actually happen. So as we start in Matthew 22, we're down in verse 23. And the hypothetical question they ask has very huge implications for, uh, for our, their lives and for your life. Because the hypothetical question isn't about superpowers, and it, it isn't about you know, the size of a rock, or it isn't about the future or the past. Well, it has, sort of is about the future. The hypothetical question that they're asking is a life or death question. And, and life or death questions are something that we try to avoid most of the time. In my experience, when I go to the downtown mall or when I'm at the soup kitchen or when I'm talking to people in general, and I say to them, what do you think happens when you die? I don't want to talk about that. Let's talk about anything else. You know, what's the, how's the weather today? You know, what, what happened on the ball game last night? Anything else. Because there's something in us that we just don't want to talk about that. And entertainment, things like that, allow us to not go there in our minds. Because we have beliefs that we operate on, but maybe we haven't actually spoken them, and maybe they're not fully formulated, but we have them. And so here in Matthew 22, let's start reading at verse 23. 
And then we'll see how all of this relates and, and how Jesus deals with these questions. They had asked him a, a, a true question, you know, what, what do we do about taxes just previously? How, do we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And so Jesus answered that. Now the Sadducees, verse 23 says, the same day the Sadducees, I'll explain who they are in a minute, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him saying, teacher, Moses said that if a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were with us, and here's the hypothetical, seven brothers. The first died after he had married and having no offspring left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also and the third, even to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. Verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Amen. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. So that's the chunk we're going to look at today for the next 20 or 25 minutes before we share communion. So it begins with this group called the Sadducees. And the first point I want you guys to understand as we read this is that uh, people have assumptions that dictate their behaviors. People start out oftentimes, and you may be sitting here today, and you have an opinion about what happens after you die. The Sadducees had an opinion. They had a belief. It was different from another group called the Pharisees. We've been reading. These are just two religious parties like Democrat and Republican. They had gravitated toward others that believed the same thing they believed. The Pharisees were the law keepers. They were the religious looking guys that uh, kept, were, were very fastidious about ways to wash their hands and all the ceremonies and all the rituals. Well, the Sadducees were the wealthy, the wealthy upper classes. The Sadducees, the high priest was often a Sadducee. And they had a set of beliefs. Most of what they believed in were, were material things. If they couldn't touch it, if they couldn't test it, if they couldn't experience it, then they didn't believe in it. Much like some of us. Much like many people that you work with, others in your family. So what does that mean? That, that, that they believed or didn't believe? They didn't believe in angels. Because you, you can't see them. Can't experience them, can't test them. They didn't believe in angels. They, they didn't believe in an afterlife. They didn't believe in resurrection. That's what they say here. You know, they say there is no resurrection. That's why they're called Sadducees, because they're sad. Because there's no, if there's no resurrection, that's pretty sad. They didn't believe in the Spirit. So they lived according to their beliefs. So they were wealthy. They lived for completely for this life. Their beliefs dictated the way that they lived. You can always tell a tree by its fruit. So this was the Sadducees. And it's easy to say anything. People say all kinds of stuff, don't they? It's easy just to say, well, well, this is what I believe. And oftentimes you get into conversations with people who say, well, why do you believe that? Well, I don't know. It's just what I believe. I just learned it somewhere. and or it's just, I just feel that way. You know, I believe in reincarnation. Why do you believe that? I don't know. Makes sense to me. Really? You know? And, and you are an uh, expert in that? Or how, how do you know? And so the question again, what do you believe? 
When's the last time you sat down and really, really thought about it? What's the reality of what you believe happens when you die? Do you believe in reincarnation? Do you believe in resurrection? Do you believe that, you know, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, that's all there is? There ain't no more, you know, game over. Maybe some of you believe that. Well, the Pharisees believed in all these things, afterlife, spirit, angels, and all that, but the Sadducees did not. So with their belief, they come to Jesus and they say, teacher, Moses said that if a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. And so they're, they're basing this on, on, a real situ, on a real teaching from the Bible. In, in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, we learn about this thing called uh, leveret marriage. And levir just means brother-in-law. And the way that they worked things out back then, and this is why people were really concerned if like you were a younger brother, you had a vested interest in who your older brother married. Because if anything happened to him, she was yours. And there's a reason, and that has to do with an inheritance. Because, you know, they had a certain, certain land had been given to certain tribes and families. And they had, that was their inheritance. And you passed it on to your son. Your firstborn son would have the majority of your inheritance. If you didn't have a son then you would stand to lose your inheritance and part of the inheritance of that tribe, of whatever family you were from. And so to av- avoid that, what God had allowed for is then the brother-in-law could marry the wife and they, their firstborn son would be, really, he would be counted as the deceased brother's son and would inherit all of his land and all of his possessions and everything. So that's how that worked out. And, and that was, you know, it wasn't uh, mandatory, but if you didn't do it, it was considered disgraceful. If you know the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth is, is based on that idea. Um, someone who was next of kin taking on the responsibility. It was for the widow too. It was to make sure the, the widowed wife was cared for uh, by the family and, and, um, and so forth. So that's what this is based on. So they say, hey, Moses said this. And, and so... That's what, then, now they're going to go with their hypothetical question. Now, if this is true, because what, what are they trying to do? They're trying to prove that life after death is absurd. And so they ask this hypothetical question. So, hey, Jesus, let's say there are, are seven brothers, big family, and the oldest brother gets married, and then he dies. And then the next brother marries the wife, and he dies. And then the third brother marries the wife and he dies and the fourth brother and he dies and the fifth brother and he dies. And now sometimes uh, they're going to feel like they need to get an investigator involved because all these men are dying and the woman, you know, she's living on and on and on. And so, you know, has anybody checked what she's cooking? Has anybody looked into these things? All of these guys are dying and yet she's outliving them. At some point you start scratching your head going, hmm, seeing a common thread here. The second also, the third, even to the seventh. And then last of all, they say the woman dies also. And they say, you see, it's absurd that's resurrection because then in the resurrection, if there was life after death, well, whose wife would she be? I mean, they all had married her. And if she's got multiple husbands in the resurrection, that's adultery and she can't break the law in, in the resurrection. And so they, they would say, you see, it doesn't make any sense. It can't be true. Now, have you ever been in a situation like that? Has anybody played with you, Stump the Christian? Like you get all your office workers around and they want to ask you some kind of question that's like, 
crazy? And, you know, if God is, if God is true, then, you know, did, did Adam have a belly button? I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, the, where do you get that stuff? Some of you are going, hey, did he? You know? <laughs> hey, wait, can you go back and answer that question? <laughs> but, but sometimes people play with us, stump the Christian, right? And if they ask you a question and you can't answer it, you feel like you failed. And sometimes they go, ha, see, you know, you're wrong and I'm right because you can't answer my question. I say, wait a second, I'm not the authority. Just because I can't answer the question doesn't mean there's no answer. Be careful, first of all, in conversations with people when they're bringing up hypothetical questions. You know, when they go to the extreme, you know, we talk often about the man that lives on the island, you know. What happens if the man that lives on the island dies and he never hears the gospel, you know. I trust in a gracious and loving God. You know, I, I don't know the specific answer I can give you. I mean, we can open the Bible and look, and I've, I've learned to answer that question, uh, at least to confuse my opponent so they have no idea what I said. And then they go, oh, I just use a lot of big words, and, and then they go, okay, then they leave me alone, you know, or I just growl at them. I just, and then they, then they definitely leave me alone after that. But here's the thing. So people, want, they're, they're trying to justify what they believe. They believe, they have a certain set of beliefs, and for you to challenge them by saying that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man can come to the Father but by Him. When you challenge that, they don't like that. And so they come up with situations and hypothetical situations. They try to catch you and stump you to make you look foolish and stupid and to then to, to justify their own opinion. And please be careful with hypothetical situations and remember that you and I are not the authority. And that just because I may not have an answer to that question doesn't mean that no answer exists. And so if they can stump me, that's a piece of cake. You can stump me, no problem. You know, I'm, I'm easy to stump. But can you stump Jesus? Because he's the one, you know. You think about the book of Job, and Job asked God all these questions about why was I even born, and you know, the, and then finally in chapter 38 of Job, God says, now Job, you sit, and I'm going to ask you some questions. And someday that person that's asking you questions will sit before the Lord, and the Lord will say, okay, now I got a couple questions for you. And I think that, that uh, at that point, you know, mouths will be shut. Because when you're being questioned by God, you know, you sit up and, and you sit straight and, and you don't, there's, you're not joking around at that point. It's a serious matter because this is life and death, isn't it? I mean, the answer to this question is probably one of the most important questions that you will ever ask that will dictate how you live. And how you answer it is extremely important. So I don't know if I would have had an answer for his question, but Jesus does. And he starts his question in verse 29, or excuse me, he starts his answer, and he says to them, you are mistaken. You are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. And, and that is where people are often mistaken. Number one, uh, first of all, recognize this, that oftentimes when people ask you questions, uh, they're mistaken. Simple as that, they're wrong. And it might be they had a wrong understanding. They believed it. It doesn't matter how sincerely they believed that there, that there was nothing after you die, they were wrong. And you might be sitting here today with a sincere belief that, you know, you, this church thing is okay. Uh, it's some good teachings from Jesus. Love your neighbor, all that kind of stuff. But I still can't figure out. I can't understand 
how a person's body can die, but their spirit can live on. Well, join the club. I don't understand it. But if you believe because you can't understand it, that it must not exist, then you could be mistaken. Matter of fact, Jesus would say, you are mistaken. Why? Because you don't know the word of God. And the word of God. See, who's the authority for truth? You? Me? He doesn't say, you're mistaken not knowing what the Pharisees teach. He doesn't say, you're mistaken not knowing what your pastor, not remembering the sermon from last week. Or not remembering the thing you watched on TV a couple months ago. He says, you're mistaken not knowing the scriptures. Now, these guys were experts in the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. They were experts in the Torah. But he says they could read it, they, under, they, they knew the information, but they didn't understand it. Because they didn't think resurrection could be taught from those first five books. They didn't think there was any example in the first five books of the Bible of resurrection. But he says you err not knowing the scriptures. And some of you today might err, might be mistaken, because you've heard it from your grandfather, you heard it from your parents, you heard it from this TV program, you read it in a book off the, you know, the philosophy shelf at the library... And so why would you trust the philosophy book written by a man from the library and not the word of God? At least weigh them out. You err. And here's the other place you err. And this is where they erred as well. You don't know the power of God. You don't know the power of God. The power of God to, to change life. The power of God to give life. Look, in the beginning... God took a bunch of dirt, made it into a form, and breathed life into Adam. God is the giver of life. Now, if he gave life to the, the, to the first man, why can't he give new life to someone that was already alive? That's easier. So if you believe in creation, it's very easy to believe in resurrection. Very easy to believe in that. And some of you have never experienced the power of God. And I pray that today as we share communion in a little bit, uh, that maybe you will take that step to maybe challenge what you've believed and why you've believed it and what was the source of your belief and, and maybe take a chance and, and allow yourself to experience the power of God. Because I sit and talk to people and they say, how can that be? How can that be? Look, you don't know the power of God. So that's where they erred. They didn't think, they thought that the afterlife was just a continuation of this life. And that's where they were wrong. They didn't realize that the afterlife, the resurrected life, was different. Well, how is it different? Jesus says, you're mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. And then he gives them a lesson, verse 30. For in the resurrection at that time, when, at the time when people are, are, are raised from the dead to life, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels. Notice that like, that people don't become angels. Angels are angels, people are people. So and that's, again, sometimes people, you think that you're going to be sitting on a cloud with a little harp and you've got wings, and that's not your afterlife. That's, that's the angel's life. But people are like angels in what aspect? In the terms that angels aren't married in heaven. They don't, get, they don't have wedding ceremonies in heaven. Uh, that's, so we're like angels in that we're, we're eternal beings and, and not uh, celebrating, not participating in marriage. Now, some of you are going... Yes, you know, freedom. And others, you're going, wait a second, that's kind of a hurtful truth. You know, I, I, I love my wife, I love my husband, and I'd been hopeful that maybe we would enjoy this relationship 
through eternity. When I perform weddings, we say for better, for worse, richer, for, for poorer, sickness and health, till death do us part. And so uh, marriage is an institution invented by God to show the relationship between Christ and the church. It's the most intimate relationship that two human beings can have is marriage. More intimate than father, son, father, daughter. I mean, it's, it's the, the most, the closest human relationship. And so some people put all of their emphasis, all of their focus, all their attention on the marriage relationship, hoping that this is going to be, you know, that in, and in heaven all your hopes are that, that I'm going to be, you know, we're going to have this marriage again. And look, you're going to know your husband. You're going to know your wife. We're going to know each other. Some people have said, look, you're not going to be stupider in heaven than you are on earth. If you know each other here, you're going to know each other there. But there is a difference. And here's what I believe the Bible teaches. There's something that's going to be missing in heaven. And that's going to be sin. See, we have, those of us that are saved in here, we have the mind of Christ. But we have a hard time using it. You know, we know what to do, but we don't do it. Wretched people that we are, we know what's right. We, we want to love our husband. We want to love our wife. We want to love our neighbors, ourselves. But sin gets in the way. And, and we don't, and then, and how people perceive us gets in the way. And, and we get all this other baggage here on earth because we're stuck in this fleshy body. In heaven, you won't have that. And in heaven, the relationships we have with one another, I think every relationship that people have that the church has with Christ will be closer than a marriage relationship on earth. So the, the relationship you have with your husband, you have with your wife now on earth, ain't going to even come close to the closeness of the relationships we will have as we are one with Christ and with each other. That every relationship will be more intimate and, and, and more blessed in heaven than the closest of human relationships. And that's why I don't think when you're in heaven... You will be so concerned with a, with a marriage to that spouse. There will be a, an intimacy that you can't even imagine. We will finally be what we've always wanted to be. We'll be able to be, uh, Christ, Christ's nature will finally be predominant in our lives. We will see him as he is and we will be like him. And we will be one. And now I can't explain how that's going to feel or look or be. But So you know, don't get too upset about that. You're going to be focused on Christ in heaven. He is going to be all of our attention. And we're all going to be, the closer we are focused on him, the closer we're going to be to each other. So don't get bent out of shape when, he, when it says, you know, that, that we're not going to be married in heaven. Verse 31 says, but concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to who? To you. By God. Saying. Now, this was written in the book of Exodus, what we're about to read. And he says, Jesus says, it was written in the book of Exodus by Moses, but it's as if God was speaking to you. And when we read the word of God, this is the attitude we have toward it. Although this was written by a guy named Matthew, you know, thousands of years ago, it was as if God was speaking to us today. The truths are the same. The word of God endures how long? Forever. So he says, have you not read... What was spoken to you by, by God saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And this is a statement that Moses makes, or that God made to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus. And the important thing you have to recognize and the thing you should circle or understand is the word am. I am. Because what Jesus is drawing attention to is that at that passage, God didn't say, you know, no, um, 
Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died a long time before Moses' day. And God didn't say, I was the God. When they were alive, I was their God, but now they're dead, and I guess they're, you know, maybe Jacob is now a goat or something. He's reincarnated, he's come back as something else, because he was a, you know, he had some sin in his life, didn't he? He, he wasn't going to come back on a higher spiritual plane uh, if it was based on how he lived his life, because he was, a, you know, called the supplanter. He was a, a dirty, rotten scoundrel for part of his life. So, but that's the key. I, I, not that I was, but I am. I am the God. The, the people that have died in the Lord. God is still there. He's the God of the living. Now, they put all their emphasis, the Sadducees did, on, on the first five books of the Old Testament. Exodus being the second. And they thought, you can't teach resurrection from there. And Jesus did, didn't he? That's why I say, sometimes there's an answer. You just might not know it. I'd go, I'd have never seen that. I would have never said, you know, that was a text to prove resurrection is, is true and that God is the God of the living, I would have done that. But Jesus, the Word made flesh, knows exactly where to go to show the reality of resurrection. Look, Paul dealt with the hypothetical question, what if there's no re- resurrection, church? Then our faith is in vain. Our faith is empty. If there's no resurrection, then we just pack it in and go home and cut the grass when it stops raining or something like that. So, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. They, they couldn't believe. It's still, his teaching still astonishing, isn't it? I'm sure there is much more that could be said, obviously, about resurrection in general. And, and I think what we need to do is, is to move on um, with communion. So I'm going to invite Phil and the praise team up. And as we come to communion, um, maybe this is a good time to ask yourself, How certain are you of what you believe happens when you die? Because statistically speaking, 10 out of 10 people die. I mean, it's not a truth I'm happy about, uh, you know. Uh, It doesn't matter how much carrots you juice and how much broccoli you eat, how many facelifts you have and tummy tucks and liposuction and all that stuff and you know, all, it's all fine and, and well and good. And, and I want to, the life I have, I want to live healthy. But death comes knocking for every single person. And I know this is not what you want to come out here on a side. You know, things are tough enough already in, in the world. And now you've got to come out and tell us we're going to die. Well, look, you didn't know that already? But the important thing is, is and, and this is God has... has given me the job and given you the job and um, to be a beggar. What do I mean by that? God has told us to beg people to be reconciled to him. And so I'm just pleading with you because everybody lives forever. And the question is, will you live as we talked about uh, last week where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, where there is this regret of, I knew I sat in church on that Sunday morning and I heard the preacher tell me I didn't believe him and now I'm faced and now Jesus is asking me the question. And now it's too late. It's given unto man once to die and then the judgment. Or you can live eternally in that just unimaginable union with the God of the universe who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-loving, to live in the presence of, of light and of love for eternity.
I have nothing to sort that out with. I really don't. And the only reason I believe it, only reason I believe it, I wouldn't believe it if you told me. But if the Word of God says it, I, I have to believe it. I have no other choice. I'm thankful for it. Because the alternatives are, are not real appealing to me. So consider what it is that you truly believe. And as we share communion, uh, well, Phil's going to lead us in a couple songs with the praise team. Um, and then we'll talk some more before, and we'll have a chance to share with one another before the communion elements are, are handed out. So let's, do, let's worship the Lord. What do you say? Go ahead and be seated. We usually take a little bit of time now. Um, one of the cool things about the body of Christ and what we try to do in this church is that, you know, the, the church doesn't center around the pastor. It centers around Jesus. Uh, and, and Jesus gives to everyone gifts with which to serve him. And so one of the things we take time to do uh, during communion is to give you guys an opportunity to minister to one another through um, reading his word, through something that God has put on your heart, uh, to share a a brief testimony, to share a brief prayer, uh, to share something from the word of God, maybe something that the sermon has touched on. Uh, So I'll ask this, you know, we, not that there are rules, but there are sensitivities and considerations, uh, for everyone that's here, uh, as you share, uh, just make sure, you know, we want to let enough, as many people as possible have a chance to share. So uh, it doesn't need to be, you know, well, when I was born in 1967, I lived here and then all the way through. And then 15 minutes later, we're finally, you know, you're 16. And so you don't need to share the whole life story. Your testimony is so simple, isn't it? I was a sinner. God's grace came into my life. I was born again, and I ain't what I used to be. And we all share the same testimony, whether or not you were, you were born into a Christian home or you, you're drug addicted today. You know, we, we share the same testimony. It's a sinner saved by the grace of God, and I'm living a transformed life. So if you, you, know, you can share that basic framework of a testimony. You can share just simply from the Word of God. Uh, you can share a simple prayer or if, some, if God has put something on your heart to encourage, to exhort uh, us, then we'll have a, we have the microphone, Rob, ready to go around. And uh, so let's just take this time and, and open up the, the opportunity to do so. Um, this morning I was stressing out about something, a couple things, and um, my good friend Madeline Fedden reminded me of a Bible verse that was that is my favorite Bible verse, and I just have to share. Thank you, Madeline, for sharing it with me this morning. Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. Amen. (laughs) That's what she said to me. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is anything of virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, worthy, meditate on these things. Thanks again, Madeline.
I am just so in awe of our youth. Our youth is amazing. These kids are, young people, sorry, not kids, are just so in love with the Lord, and it is so encouraging and beautiful. This is our future church. These are our kids that have been raised in the foundation of the Lord, and they encourage each other, and they love each other, and they minister to each other. And God is doing an amazing work in their lives, and I am just so blessed and thankful. Um, sometimes we forget as we get older, you know, that love or whatever it is, but to hear that beautiful 14-year-old young woman can encourage. That's what we can all do, but this is our future church, and I am just so blessed. Thank you to our youth, and pray for them. They struggle with a lot of things, um, but they are so grounded, and it's such a beautiful blessing from the Lord. So thank Amen. you. Amen. Thanks, Denise. Last Sunday um, night was testimony night at the prison, and I was touched by a woman there who was my age, and she had stood up and said that she was told by somebody when she first came there that she didn't love anybody, and that hit her that she was that cold and hard that she didn't love anybody, and people there, the Christians there, Christian inmates there had shown her love and she's slowly turning around. And even though she had said something inappropriate that night, the next person said, I think she was trying to apologize for what she had said, you know. And she, and she was crying because she realized she had said something wrong. And, um, and, she, and the chaplain says, is that what you were trying to do? And she said, yes, you know, that's what she was trying to do. But to think about the people out there, she never loved anyone because she never received any love. Amen. She didn't know what love was. And there are so many people out there that don't know what love is. They don't know God. God is love. And if they don't know God, they don't know love. And it just really touched me. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, Steve was talking about heaven and uh, talking. we're going to talk about Jesus' blood and from Ephesians 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And then in 7 it says, In him, being Christ, we have redemption through his blood, which we will share today. The forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace. Um, because he put my eyes on Ephesians 1, 2, verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming age he might show the incomparable riches of God's grace to us expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that we, paraphrasing there, that I have been saved, you, those who accept, through faith. And this is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. Amen. Uh, along with what Jean said, I've been meditating this week on um, just the blood of Jesus. I know sometimes when we sin, I know I rely that, you know, we know that God is such a gracious God and he's just to forgive. And so we sin knowingly, but we reading in First Peter this week, it says that we're not bought with corruptible things, but with the precious blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes us white as snow, nothing but the blood.
I just wanted to say that, um, first off, I just want to say thank you to uh, a lot of people, especially with my fellow youth, uh, my classmates, basically, and other people, because I know a lot in the teenager's life that, especially my myself, have been going through a lot of stuff. And um, I just want to say thank you, first of all. And then second of all, like I said, we go through so many stuff, but God brings us out through the best of us. And it's just, I've, no, just, just thank you. I want to say that prayer changes things. And I want to thank God for my family and for the prayers that I have just offered to God and then my, stood on my faith and to see things come to fruition. So my encouragement to anyone is, if you are in a tough spot, continue to pray. And stand on it. And regardless of what the world says and the enemy says to you, if God says yes, then believe it. Because he is, has the final word. And I just want to encourage everyone with that. And I want to thank God for my family. We've got time for maybe one more. Uh, someone with their heart pounding that is really afraid to say what they know they're supposed to say. Uh, you can just go ahead and stand up. Because that was me. One, a couple years ago, I was at the pastor's conference out in the West Coast. And and I just knew that I was supposed to stand up and talk, and my heart was just beating out of my chest, and, and I didn't stand, and someone else ended up saying the same thing that God had put on my heart. But I know the feeling that you're feeling, and that, that is the Spirit of God trying to prompt you. So now that I've brought attention to that, and you're going to be extra embarrassed, you know, uh, we've got time for one more, and that may be that some, because maybe what you have to say is what people need to hear. So thank you, Vinny, for being obedient to the Lord. You, we've got two more then, yes. Right. <clears throat> nice and loud, Vinny. Something that's been, uh, I just picked up and looked at it. It's kind of encouraging and just makes me feel like the most blessed man in the world. It's uh, from Romans chapter, chapter 4, verse 7. Uh, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man who, whom the Lord shall not impute sin. And I just, I just feel like a very blessed man. Amen. Down here, Rob. Uh, this this uh, gentleman back here made me think of it. Uh, a few weeks ago, we lost uh, a student here at the high school, and I can still I can still see his face in my class, and uh, it it it's tough. Um, he had a goofy little grin that I I think about every day. Um, but then earlier this week, you know, we had a student uh, go missing. And, you know, my heart, my mind went right back to that again. And I, I'm sure a lot of people had the same thing. And uh, I lost a lot of hope that morning. I was, you know, I was just standing outside and I, I was praying and I thought to myself, there's, you know, I just didn't have that hope. And then, you know, we found out he was, he was alive and he was fine. And, uh, I, you know, a friend of mine emailed me and said, you know, God is just greater than, than the despair that we can have in our heart. You know, he can... He can bring something, uh, you know, from when you feel hopeless, he can come out, he can bring you out of that. And, and he brought Aaron back, and um, I'm looking forward to talking to him. But let me just uh, tell the youth in here especially, but anybody, you know, if you're that low and you've got you know, something on your heart that's, that's just bringing you to that point that, that you're considering uh, taking your own life or, or, uh, or anything, that there are people who care that you don't even know about. 
there are people that have the heart of God that it might not seem that way. They, they might seem distant or they might be going along with their own life and it just doesn't seem like people care, but they are there. And reach out to someone you think you can trust and, uh, and God can work through that person and will work through that person uh, to, to help restore you to what you really want to be and what he intended you to be. Amen. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, we're really good at hiding stuff, aren't we? We're really good at holding it in and, and keeping it in. So uh, the folks that are going to serve communion are going to come forward and begin to serve the communion. You're going to get a, a piece of matzah, the bread, and you're going to get the cup. It's grape juice. It's, uh, these are representative of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, as they come around, just hold on to them. Don't, don't eat them, drink them just yet. We're all going to eat and drink together. And while those are coming around... You know, there's a, a, a thousand things we could look at regarding the communion, which is what we call this time, uh, Jesus said, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. We choose to do it once a month. I'd love to do it every day with you guys. Uh, originally, they were around a table because we're a large group uh, and, and no one's cooking for all of you. This is the way we do it. It's a representative meal of the fellowship meal we'll have in heaven that's going to be uh, just a a blast, a grand meal. And the, the interesting thing about this is basically Jesus, God, is through Jesus inviting you to his table to eat with him. And that means that what he's inviting you to with him is peace. Because deals happen over meals, don't they? You know, you want to make a business deal, you want to make a, you know, you want to get together with someone, you want to work out something. Uh, and, and if you have someone you're, at in, you're in, in a, a war with, it's hard to sit down and, and break bread with them, hard to eat with them if you're in a battle with them. And so the Bible tells us that God was in Christ reconciling, which means putting an end to the war, reconciling people to himself. God's desire is that you would be at peace with him. That you would come to his table. He's inviting you, not because of who you are, but because of who he is. He's inviting you, Steve, I want you to come. I want you to sit and eat with me. I want to enjoy your company and let you enjoy my company. But we are the problem. We want our own way. We want to go our own way. And God waits at the table. Represented by the, the body and the blood of Christ. That he, that's the invitation. You know, you, go, you get invited to a party. You have an invitation. You take the invitation. You say, here's my invitation. It's sort of your entry ticket. The blood and the body of Christ are your entry ticket. They're your invitation. And God says, I don't want to be at war with you anymore. I have done everything to make peace with you, would you have peace with me? Would you end the war? Because, think about your life. Are there a lot of people, a lot of human relationships that are strained in your life? A lot of war on a human level? People that, that you're on, on the outs with? That, that you can't get along with? There's always con- Do you have a lot of drama in your life? Are you like a drama person that it's just drama here, drama there? If you were a camel, you'd be a drama dairy. Oh, that's a bad joke. 
But you got all these human relationships are a mess. Do you know what the Bible says the root of that is? Your relationship with God is a mess. Where do wars and fights come from on the outside? They come from wars and fights on the inside. Because the place you're supposed to be is following God. And if you try to live any other way, it just makes a mess. And so that's why we're here. That's why you're holding on to what you're holding on to, the body and blood of Christ. He has made the way for you to be at peace. It's not by being a good person. It's not by wearing the right clothes to church. It's not by going to the right church. It's not by reading your Bible every day. None of those things will help you make peace with God. You you can do all those things and still not be personally at peace with God. It's through bowing down, confessing your sin, and acknowledging the the sacrifice Jesus made so that you could be at peace with God. And and again, I want to encourage the least of us, those that are here that just think that there is no way that God could love me. Let me tell you something. There's no way he can't. There's no, literally, I mean, I mean, that's not just a catchy little pastor phrase, you know, that preaches well. That's not what that's about. That's true. God is love. He has one desire for you. He has one way of, of meeting you, and that's in love. It doesn't matter what you've done. You're his creation. You were created in his image, and he loves you. And so, you know, used to be I could look around the room and go, I know everybody here. But now we're at the point, I don't know all of you. Some of you, it's the first or second time you've been here, and I don't know you. I don't know if you have, if, if I asked you, do you have peace with God? How would you answer that? Would you say, well, I'm in church, aren't I? Ah, that shows that you don't know. What is it that I have to do to have peace with God? You have to accept Jesus as your Savior. And then he takes care of the rest. If you're addicted to drugs, accept Jesus as your Savior. He'll deal with you with that. If you're addicted to religion, give your life to Jesus. He'll take care of that. If you're a bear to live with, you've got deep bitterness, you've got wounds deep inside that no one knows are there, give your life to Jesus. He'll deal with that. So Phil's going to, we have another song you could sing just while people are considering and while the, the elements are being passed out. Just something brief. Bread and the cup. Yes? Everybody over there uh, have the communion elements? Yes, we're good. If you want to accept or uh, continue to accept, uh, many of you are already saved. You already know what it means to have a Father in Heaven. You already know what it feels like to have peace with God. Uh, You already know all that I've been talking about. And so we just again confirm that our salvation is because of Christ and not because of ourselves. That he, He bought it for us. And he's given it to us as a gift. So we say amen. And and we partake of the the body and the blood of Christ, the sacrifice, uh, knowingly, willingly, uh, 
excitedly, thankfully, uh, gratefully, all of those things. And for those of you that, that uh, do not know Christ, you've never you know, experienced that peace. You don't know what it's like to have a Father in Heaven. You're just hearing these things for the first time. What you're holding in your hands is, is the invitation. And you can choose today uh, to accept that invitation to have peace with God. And, and, and by partaking, as we partake, you're just, we're gonna, in a second, we're going to eat the bread and we're going to drink the cup, the bread representing the body of Christ. His body that was brutalized so yours could be saved. Him taking on the punishment that, that you and I deserve for our sins and His blood that was shed, His life, basically. The life of the flesh is in the blood. His life that was given so we could live eternally. And that's the invitation He gives you. And if you want to accept that, then partake with us. Then partake with us and just come up afterwards and say, hey, this is the first time I've ever taken communion or the first time it's really meant what it meant to me. I've taken it before. I've gone through the ritual. But today I've understood. I've accepted Jesus as my Savior. And then just come down afterwards and and tell me about it. We can pray together and tell you what to do next. Right? So let's partake. Uh, We have the body of Christ. Broken not just for the group. Broken for me individually. As often as we eat this, we do this in remembrance of Him. As I said, the life of the flesh is in the blood. So as we look at this this cup, small portion uh, of juice that represents the blood of Christ, we are reminded that that, uh, we were not bought, as Nick said, with um, money. It didn't cost him, you know, he didn't have to go to the bank and get a loan to buy me back, you know, because I'm expensive. I I was in a lot of sin, you know, so it costs a lot to buy me back. Uh, not with gold, not with silver, not with Krugerrands or all that stuff. But the only price that could be paid was blood. And it was only his blood. He was the only one that could do it. And he did it for me because he loved me. Because he loved you. And so as we partake, we say, thank you, Jesus. This is the body, or the, excuse me, the blood of Christ shed for me. Let's drink it in remembrance of him. The power of sin is broken. Let's stand. We're going to sing a final closing song in celebration, and you'll be excused.